0: To blessings is paved with discipline. The road to blessings is paved with discipline. Now, as soon as I say the D word, I know many of you are like, oh, Mac, really? Discipline? It's the weekend, bro. Cut us some slack, would you? And I'll be the first to admit, I'm not a big fan of the word discipline. It takes me back in my mind. To to when I was in school, I still remember, I'm old and I'm 48 years old, so I went to school in a day and an age when they still paddled kids. How many of you remember corporal punishment in school? How many of you got some corporal punishment in school like I did? I'll never forget Coach Buddy Griffin calling me down in kindergarten. You got to be bad to get a paddle in kindergarten. (laughs) Coach Griffin said, Mac Richard, I want you to go to my desk and pick out the ping pong paddle. I thought, man, ping pong paddle, didn't even have any holes in it. How much damage could he do? (laughs) A lot. It's all in the wrist. But but when we think about discipline, we we think about drudgery. We, We think a lot of times about our parents, or we think about spankings, or we think about being grounded. Sometimes parents think about time out. (laughs) <laughs> time out. That's so funny. My mom laughed at time out. But discipline, in reality, is a gift from God. And discipline paves the road to blessings. Now, for the last few weeks as a church, we've been engaged in this study called Come and Get It. And we've laid out what it is that God invites us into when he calls us into relationship with himself. As we said, come and get it, in the very first installment of this series, we kind of defined it as the joy of the God-first life. If you want to define it in come and get it, it's the joys that are available inside the promises of the God-first life. And we said come and get it was based on one passage of Scripture in Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, where the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That this loving kindness that is part of God's personality is something that he has designed us and he desires us to experience, to to live in day in and day out. But it's not just something that he kind of hands out loosey-goosey, willy-nilly. It's something that he invites us into a process, and that's where we find ourselves today. Now, I want to say a very special word of thanks to Pastor Dan Underhill and Pastor Terry Cadwell for the messages that they brought in my absence. They did a phenomenal job of continuing this series. And I loved. I went back and listened to Pastor Terry last weekend as he talked about wisdom. I asked Terry to preach on wisdom because it's basically for him an autobiographical sermon. Terry is one of the wisest men I know, wisest people I know. But it's hard won, it's hard earned, it's hard learned wisdom that he's worked for, that he has studied for, that he has engaged himself in. And I've noticed over my own life that there is... A deep-seated connection between discipline and wisdom. If you think about somebody, think just right now in your mind's eye of someone you know that you would consider wise. Who, Who do you know that is wise? Kind of get that person in the frontal lobe of your brain. Now, obviously, I don't know who you're thinking about, but I know for a fact you're thinking about someone who is disciplined. Because... You, you can know a lot of stuff, but if you don't make wise choices, you're not a wise person. I've, I've made some, how many of you know what it's like to, to have some foolish decisions or maybe foolish seasons of life? Could I just see a show of hands? Okay, thank you for your honesty. Everybody else, you're under suspect. But wisdom requires discipline. And discipline is a good thing because, as I said, the road to blessings is paved with discipline. So today what I want to do is just, I don't want to overwhelm you because I think a lot of times when we think about discipline, the first thing we think about is, how am I going to add something else to my plate? How am I going to, to create room for something else in my day or in my week or in my year? And in reality, a lot of times wisdom and discipline comes down to learning what to say no to if you begin to live a life of wisdom and discipline you actually begin to get comfortable saying the word no say no No. that was that was okay some of you kind of had a little nervous twitch when you said it but let's say that again just say no no isn't that a fun word Isn't that a a great word just to be able to go, no. Do y'all want to come over for dinner? No. No, I don't. What, really? Do you already have plans? No. Do do y'all want to go out to a movie? No. Do you want to sign up for a fifth extracurricular activity for your children? No! <laughs> Heck no! Discipline matters and discipline is what paves the roads to the blessings that God intends you and me to experience. So I want to talk to you about discipline to the fourth power today. Discipline to the fourth power. The first discipline that I'm going to talk to you about, shouldn't surprise you, is spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline grows privately and collectively. Spiritual discipline grows privately and collectively. You see this in the life of Jesus himself. Now most of us, I think if you were to just kind of, just in your mind's eye, take a snapshot of the life of Jesus we would think, Jesus, man, just, he just woke up and things just happened. It was just, you know, he, he was Jesus, right? But look at what the Bible says in Mark chapter 1. I think it's interesting that Mark went to the trouble to put this in the first chapter of his account of the life of Jesus. He said, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off, what? To a solitary place. Where he prayed, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, I love this, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. How many of you are moms in the house? Let me see a show of hands if you're a mom. You ever feel like everyone's looking for you? You ever feel like mom, 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 mom? Okay, let me ask you a question, moms. And remember, you're in church, so don't lie. How many moms in the house? have ever hidden in the bathroom. Let me see a show of hands. You just, you just gone to the bathroom. You didn't have to go number one or number two or anything in between. You just wanted to get away. You know what I'm talking about? I know dads do that. I'll be out in an hour. But there's something about having that quiet place, not the bathroom. There's something about having a solitary place where you go to pray, where it's just you and God. Jesus did that. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Don't don't skate over that detail. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, creator, judge, savior, Jesus got up very early and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, if Jesus, (laughs) if Jesus needed to go pray, could it be, do you think, is it possible that you and I need that that much more? He went to a solitary place to pray. And I know for a lot of people, the thought of that is kind of intimidating. You're like, I, I don't know what to do. <clears throat> I, I don't know where to start. If you don't know where to start, start with the word pray. Start with the word pray. I don't want you to write this down very quickly. I'm going to run through this very quickly. But because I think a lot of people never get started because they don't know where to start. P, give me a P. He stands for praise. You, you praise God. You praise Jesus. Tell Him what's so great about Him. Tell Him what you love about Him. Julie does this to me as a husband all the time. She'll, she'll stop me. She'll tell me three things you love about me, and they can't be anything you've ever used before. Go. You remember that? You remember that part in Frozen where Olaf the snowman goes? You hesitated. That was the funniest part of the movie because I have heard that throughout our marriage. Don't hesitate. But when you praise God, you're just telling him what you love about him. You're telling him how awesome he is. You're lifting him up, which, by the way, is what we were created for. (laughs) That we were created to worship. So it starts with praise. R, give me an R. R. Repent. Repent. Just ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind any known or living sin and turn from it just confess it and turn from it walk away from it repent a give me an a. a ask 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 god for what's on your heart ask him ask him what you need ask him tell him what you want he already knows it but ask him it's amazing how your desires wants and needs will begin To line up with God's desires and wants the more you submit your requests to him. And the word submit leads us to the word why. Give me a why. Why? Yield. You just yield. Just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. You say, God, these are my requests, but not my will, but your will be done. So pray. So there's that private time, but there's also that collective time. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 15. I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Wouldn't that be great if somebody gave you the nickname? What's your nickname? Rock. That'd be cool. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Listen, I know I'm a pastor. Okay. So I I admit I'm biased toward the church. But just because I'm biased doesn't mean I'm wrong. The church is the hope of the world. The church is what Jesus gave himself up for. The church is what we are adopted into when we come to faith in Christ for the purposes of Christ. The church is what Jesus promised to build it matters. There's something that happens when we gather collectively. Now, here's the thing that's funny. I'm preaching to the choir. You're already here today. So, you you get this, but I want to make sure that you understand the priority that this needs to be. The priority that that being on time matters. Because when you come in on time, you come in expectant. You come in expecting God to show up and to do something. You come in expecting to encounter Him as you worship and praise Him. That song, Because He Lives. Somebody. I grew up Baptist. That goes down to my roots. I'm telling you, man, there's something about it. When when you hear that bouncing off the rafters because a room full of people, you don't get that in your private place. You, You don't have that in that private time with God. That's something that only happens collectively. Now, I've already told you, I skipped church last week. I didn't go. I didn't even watch online. <laughs> and I'm fairly committed. You shouldn't be here t- 52 weeks a year. You shouldn't. But you should be here more than twice a month, more than once a month, more than Christmas or Easter. Easter. Not because the church, because you need it. We are wired for this. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let's don't neglect this. This matters. I think especially for those of us who are in a family situation. Man, we we make choices for our family calendar we look at our kids' extracurriculars. And again, look at me. No anger. No. I'm not, I'm not hammering you. I'm telling you this because I love you. I've seen too many families. The ditches are littered with folks who devoted their lives to travel, whatever, cheerleader, soccer, chess, football. I don't know if they have travel chess, but they probably do. And here's the thing about it. Don't, don't, don't miss this. Do you know why they will have travel chess? Because somebody will make money on it. They will make money on the parent who says, he's got to get a chess scholarship. <laughs> Listen, I'm not telling you don't go for the scholarship. I, I'm, obviously, I believe in athletics. I, I think sports are great. Look at me. I mean, this does not just happen. I believe... <laughs> in athletics but the priority of worship what's going to be with your kids when they're 30 and out of the NFL now think about that it's going to be the church it's going to be the church and so the priority that you put on the church is going to be the thing that your kids carry with them It's going to be the thing that carries them into college. And they start saying, when I get to college, what church am I going to be a part of? What what church am I going to dive into where I go to college, if I go to college? What, What church am I going to want to invest my life in and connect with other people? That's what's going to be there with them far, far longer than competition cheer or chess or seven on seven or whatever. And again, don't misunderstand me. But here's the thing you've got to be willing to do. You've got to be willing to let other parents look at you like you have four heads. Because people are like, you can't do that. How's he going to play varsity if he's not on the travel volleyball squad? He's he's in second grade. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, okay? (laughs) The church. And again, I'll freely admit my bias. I love me some church. But that doesn't mean I'm wrong. What is it that is going to carry your children when you can't carry them any further? That's what you point them toward. That's what you invest in. That's what you give yourself and your family to. Because spiritual discipline grows privately and collectively. Physical discipline grows. Flows out of worship. We've got spiritual discipline, but then we've also got physical discipline. Physical discipline flows out of worship. How we take care of the bodies God's given us. Now, I was teasing them a second ago. Obviously, I've never been a professional athlete. A lot of people, the first thing they ask when they come to church is, and I'll tell you the answer, I have never done steroids. <laughs> haven't. That wasn't that funny, by the way. (laughs) But you know what? I I like what my father in law says. Julie's dad, Joe, he's got a great line. I said, Joe, how are you doing? Son, I'm doing the best I can with what I got to work with. That's a great approach to how we take care of our bodies. We do the best we can with what we've got to work with. I was never going to run a 4340. Have a 48-inch vertical? Wasn't going to happen. But I can do the best I can with what I've got to work with. This is what the Bible says. God's word says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Kale for everybody. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. What do you take in? What do you put out in terms of work? Physical discipline flows out of work. It's not about being a narcissist, getting in the mirror. I can't do that too much. I thought one of these seams was going to pop on my shirt. But it's about worship take care of what God's given to me, says a lot about what I think about who God is. So it's an act of worship. And again, everybody should have a cheat day or a cheat meal. Some people are in a cheat year. Have a cheat meal. Get you a bacon cheeseburger. Somebody help me preach. But then tomorrow, steel cut oats. Little prote- You know what I'm saying. Physical discipline. Number three, this is going to be fun. Y'all ready? Number three, financial discipline. Financial discipline prepares us for blessings. Financial discipline prepares us for blessings. Malachi chapter 3 is echoed in the New Testament by Jesus in Matthew 23, 23. But this is what it says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Bring, all, bring the whole tithe. If you're a Christ follower, if you're not a Christian, you don't have to worry about that. But if you're a Christ follower, and God entrusts you with some resources, tithe. The first 10%, that takes financial discipline. Julie and I, as a couple, we have a financial business meeting two or three times a year. You know, we've got one daughter in college, our son getting ready to go to college. we got to make sure we're keeping an eye on the outgo, make sure it doesn't exceed the income. But when we do that, And the first thing we do is tithe. Then we have prepared and positioned ourselves for the blessings God wants to give. What does he say? Test me and see if I will not pour out so much blessing you won't have room enough to store it. Now, make sure that you understand. The blessings God is talking about does not necessarily mean a financial blessing. It might, could, but God has so many other ways to bless us beyond finances. I think about Julie and me as a husband and wife. One of the blessings that we experience because of this financial discipline in our lives is the fact that we stay on the same page. Have you ever noticed God has a sense of humor in whom he calls together in marriage? Almost, not always, but almost always, God calls a spender and a saver together in marriage. Now, that's just funny. And one of them, is usually, and it, and it goes both, it could be a husband, it could be the wife, you never know. But together, financial discipline, beginning with the tithe, gets husband and wife on the same page. You wanna talk about a blessing? We're not arguing about money, we're not having a fight, we're not wondering, you bought what? I'm sorry. You, you saved how much because you spent how much at Target? We don't need a boat, honey. We should have talked about it before you bought the ranch. You know what I'm saying? That kind of, those kind of arguments don't happen in our household. I had, I'd never bought a ranch, by the way, just so you know. Not with, I wouldn't do that without talking to Julie. So, financial discipline prepares us for blessings. Number four, sexual discipline protects us. For blessings sexual discipline protects us for blessings first corinthians 6 is actually an echo of genesis 39 and i'll come back to that in just a second but this is what it says in 1 corinthians 6 this is deep theology you ready run from sexual sin that's good theology right there baby say run, run. okay y'all are just kind of jogging right now say run run, run from sexual sin No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Run from it. Now, I told you that it echoes Genesis 39. I love Genesis 39 where it talks about Joseph. Joseph, who was daddy's favorite. his brothers resented it. They sold him into slavery. He got carted off to Egypt, but in Egypt he ended up in the household of Potiphar, second in command to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who was the most powerful person on the planet at that time. And Potiphar ran things for Pharaoh. He was his chief of staff. And Joseph ran things for Potiphar. And Potiphar noticed in his household that whatever Joseph did flourished and thrived. But Potiphar wasn't the only one that noticed. Potiphar's wife, she began to notice young Joseph. And the Bible says that Joseph was handsome And of good form. That's what the Bible says. In the original Hebrew, it means he was hot. Just seeing if y'all are paying attention. And Potiphar's wife began to make sexual advances on Joseph. She began to come on to him. Potiphar would go off to work. And she'd be like, Joseph... And Joseph, resisted. now keep in mind, at the time, Joseph was probably 18 or 19 years old. Now, I want you to think about 18 or 19. And, and Potiphar's wife was hot as well. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says that Joseph ran out of Potiphar's wife's advances. He ran from them. Now, things got complicated thereafter, but not because of something Joseph did. You see, when you engage in sexual discipline, when you put guardrails around your life sexually, then you have protected the gift of sexuality for what God wants to do with that in and through your life. And you and I live in a world that desperately needs some guardrails in this arena. I mean, golly. We don't even talk about movies, TV, magazine. How about the phone? The stuff that you can access privately that nobody knows about, but that doesn't mean it is a victimless crime. Because research shows that studying and looking at pornographic pornographic images rewires the way our brains were designed to think and to work, particularly in this arena. And the great seductive lie of pornography is that it will ever satisfy. Because just as an addiction to alcohol or illicit drugs, it'll always take a little bit more the next time to generate the same buzz this time. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. So create sexual disciplines. What you look at. What you listen to. What you think about. What you do and therefore whom you date. If you're not married. If you are married, the best defense is a good offense. Somebody help me preach. That's a fact. Sex is not this... Forbidden thing that God told us you shall not enjoy. He just said, protected in the context of covenant marriage. One man, one woman, one life. But within that context, read the Song of Solomon. God is pro-sex, baby. Some of you just started taking notes. (laughs) But you put those guardrails around your life. But you begin to notice through spiritual, physical, financial, and sexual discipline. When you you choose to regulate yourself and your life with the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to experience more of the blessings God promises. When God says, come and get it, and you begin to live in that disciplined wisdom, you start to notice the road beneath your feet is a little smoother. It's not quite as choppy or, or bump unexpected, and where are we going? And the reason for that's real simple. The road to blessings is paved with discipline. And this brings us full circle back to where we started this whole series with what Moses said to the nation of Israel as he was passing the baton of leadership to Joshua. There in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses knew that he wasn't going to enter the promised land, but he knew that Israel would. He knew that they were going on farther than he could take them or would take them. And, And do you remember what he told them? He said, this day, I present you the choice, the choice between blessings and cursings, between life and death. Oh, that you would choose life. That you would choose life. That the generations after you would live in the land that God promised them. Moses was saying, come and get it. It's there for the taking. But you got to make some choices. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Because the fact of the matter is, every one of us has choices to make every day. Some of us in this room have chosen to follow Christ and to walk with him. But we still have to choose to grow in that relationship. Privately, collectively, as a part of a church. Physically. To worship God and to do the best we can with what we've got to work with? Financially. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to test him and do what he says or blow that off because we don't feel like it? Or sexually, are we going to guard and protect the gift of our sexuality that God's given us? And guard and protect it and use it in the ways that he promises to bless. But you know, there are others here today who maybe have not chosen to follow Christ yet. This faith is not yours and for you. You have a choice. A choice between blessings and curses, between life and death. And the choice is about Jesus. And the fact of the empty tomb, the reality that he died on a cross for you and rose again. I wonder on this Palm Sunday if maybe it's not your day to choose life, to respond to his grace initiative, just right where you're sitting and say, Jesus, just privately, just pray. Just say, Jesus. I'm all in. I need you. I confess my sin and I claim your forgiveness. Jesus in exchange for your life, I give you mine. Once and for all. That's it. That's The beginning of a relationship with Jesus. That's the beginning of walking with him every day. If you're here today and you've never done that, then I want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. Just right where you're sitting, just talk to Jesus silently. Just pray that prayer. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I confess my sin. I claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I give you my life. I want to ask everybody just to keep your heads bowed for another moment because right now we're on sacred ground but if that was your prayer and you meant it, you meant Jesus I give you my life I want to make sure that you understand this is the greatest moment of your life And it's a moment that you need to mark. You need to make sure that it's stamped indelibly in your mind and in your heart. And so as our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, I want to just ask you if you would raise your hand. If you just raise your hand and and hold it up high for just a moment to stamp this moment. And I want you to know that we want to be a, Family of faith for you, a place where that faith, that spiritual discipline grows collectively, but you also learn how to grow it privately, personally. And as a church, we honor that moment in your life. As a church, we celebrate that moment. As you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, Welcome home.